0: Uh, let's take our Bibles and let's go to Romans chapter eight. Now, like I said, there is a lot of meat on this bone, um, and, it, and it, we've already been in Romans chapter eight twice, all right? And so far, we've gotten to verse number seventeen. So um, we we have all the way to verse number thirty nine. The next major section, if you're in breaking chapter 8 up into sections, um, the next major section, the third section, uh, deals with verse number 18 through verse number 30. Now, I do not know, I need to turn this thing on, I do not know if I'm going to make it uh, all the way through uh, verse number 30. Uh, we may not get all the way there tonight. Um, but uh, but we're going to get as, as far as we possibly can. And um, I'm not going to give you a, an entire uh, rerun over everything, but it has been a little bit since we've been looking at this chapter. Uh, and so let me just give you a reminder in Romans 8. Yes. Yes, sir. amen amen love you brother ricky and uh um thank the lord for his his goodness and blessings amen and uh, don't don't stop praying now by the way this is not the time to stop but uh thank you for that well um okay so as we we're looking back let me just remind you with uh, romans 8 um what uh, what our, our main theme and main verses are um, in in my study and layout and might say uh, somewhat diagramming of this of this chapter um, by by my view in reading it the best way to describe chapter eight in in a theme would be the security of Christ in us through the Spirit okay the security of Christ in us through the Spirit then. Key verses that would kind of, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of major key verses, you could say, in this chapter. Um, verse number 15 and verse number 16 together would, uh, would kind of follow uh, a, a full understanding to a degree of, of that theme. And it says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. By the way, spirit of bondage is a small spirit, not the Holy Spirit. It's not from God that brings bondage, but it is the spirit of adoption, capital S, meaning uh, God himself, uh, the third person of the Trinity, this Holy Spirit of God bringing about adoption into the family of God and uh, where we can call and cry, Abba, Father. Then verse number 16, the spirit, capital S, Itself beareth witness with our spirit, okay, this, the, that part of the, the, the uh, human being that uh, will ultimately choose um, where they're going to spend e- eternity. It is the soul of man um, that, is, that is eternal, but through the spirit, man's spirit can be humanistic or man's spirit can be godly. Um, the, the godly side of man can only be revived by salvation, and it can only be revived through the Holy Spirit indwelling and again bringing back that which was dead because of sin. Without the Holy Spirit um, dwelling within man, all they have is the human humanistic spirit. And that is the spirit that is cursed uh, by sin. And, uh, and there is no reviving. It is a dead spirit. It is a spirit of bondage. But, uh, but as a whole, when the Holy Spirit um, is, it, it indwells an individual through salvation, through the accepting of the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit then dwells with us and the Spirit of God revives the spirit of man. And now you have no longer a dead individual, but you have one that has been brought to life. And um, and we're dealing with life eternal, and so the spirit beareth itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So there again, the security of Christ in us through the Spirit, capital S, being the Holy Spirit. Now we already dealt with we dealt with the verse one through verse eleven is life dealing with life in the Spirit. The fact that there's uh, the truth of no condemnation, the carnal, carnally minded versus the spiritually minded, the confidence in Christ, those things. Uh, through verse 1 through verse 11. Uh, and then uh, section 2 was verse 12 to verse 17. The fact that we are debtors made heirs, okay? Living the life of a debtor, um, uh, 12, verse number 12 and 13. Proof of family status found through 14 through 16 verses. And then uh, benefit of heavenly adoption, verse number 17. And again, I, it's not even all the notes. That's just an, a quick overview now we come into the third section, verse 18 through verse number 30, and, uh, and this would be, I, I would uh, give a, a label to, to this section of verses as anticipation of promised glory. Okay, anticipation of promised glory. Um, and uh, I can't, I'm not going to read all these verses, we'll kind of read as we go down. But um, underneath the, that, that heading of anticipation of promised glory with verse 18 to verse number 30 being the focus, uh, you find your, your, your first breakdown um, would be uh, given if this title. If you're going to give it a title, you would lay it out in, in um, outline form uh, that it would be A, the comparison of present situation versus future glorification. Okay. The comparison of present situation and future glorification. So, our sufferings uh, today, our sufferings of now, cannot even get close to comparing to God's promise. We see in verse number 18, the Bible tells us, For I reckon, that's how we know he was a a southerner. All right? For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. That are it, it. almost even goes that, that statement are not worthy. Almost goes even further beyond than just can't be compared. Um, what he's saying is our sufferings of today. What we think is so horrible. What we think we suffer through. Our sufferings can't even be put in the same category. They're not even worthy to be placed in the same shelf. Um, when, it, when it comes to, and it, as it goes on in verse number 18, uh, uh, sufferings at this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. When you compare to what God is going to do for his children in that time frame when we become glorified by him, we receive a glorified body, we, 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 we get past facing and dealing with this life. And what awaits us, not just the heaven itself and, and ultimately, especially the presence of God, but what he's going to do in us when he abolishes the issue of sin in our life, when he removes the sting of, of sin and death and all that is completely gone and, and victory is completely understood because everything else has been completely removed and no longer to deal with it, but we are completely purified, glorified, and the covering of His righteousness on my account becomes visible without anything to taint it. The sufferings I go through in this life are not even worthy to be put in anywhere, any way close to the level of what is awaiting the glorification that God's going to do in His people. And so, and so he's dealing with the, these sufferings, this situation, in comparison to future glorification. And, and the reference is to 1 Corinthians. So we're going to take some time. Let's go over. You're not, you're not too far from it. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. So Paul mentions that our, our in verse 13, For I reckon that its sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in Christ us so there is something coming there's something to be revealed and uh, let's look at what he says in first in corinthians 15 starting in verse number 50 down to verse number 58 and let let's get a glimpse of what it is that and we I know we know these these verses but but this is what he begins he expounds on that that mentality of what it is that is coming the glory that awaits it's going to be done in us um, verse number 50 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So he, he's laying on the foundation right there that um, we're, we're, we're about to talk about this corruptible flesh and, 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 and this issue we have in this life that, that sin has been condemned in the flesh of this life that uh, it's about to get shed. We're, we're, we're about to, 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 to shed our skin and be robed and clothed in a brand new body. And so he said to understand that, um, th- that flesh and blood, that this tainted life cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption, which is this body is all about corruption. It cannot inherit incorruption. Something has to change. Verse number 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. That should tell you right there, there's no way for God's people to ever fully understand what this really means. It's a mystery. We, we we have a little bit of an object lesson here to kind of give us an idea of what it might be like, but if anybody tells you, well, I know what God's going to do, he's a liar. Outside of what we're given here, uh, in, in, in a likeness and an idea of, of how to picture it, uh, we are not given specifics because it is said to be a mystery. We can understand that something's going to happen. We can understand what it's going to be like to a degree, but we cannot comprehend how God's going to do it. That's why I said when it comes to, to the rapture, you know, um, uh, it, 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 is our body and all going to be taken, and in the midst of it, God's just going to transform it, and that's it? Or is the body going to be left behind? since Since this flesh and blood cannot inherit heaven, Could it be that the body and the blood are going to be left behind and you're going to have a pretty gruesome sight take place? I don't know. I'm just saying there's a possibility one way or the other. What we don't know is the exact fact of how it's going to be done. There's only one that knows how he's going to do it. And that's the one who's going to do it. That's God. So he says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory how is there an evidence of death being swallowed up and victory has won Christ has won death can't hold anybody how What's the evidence of it well when our bodies are changed to glorification as God intends it and we're purified glorified made holy and brought in the sight of God in the way that he plans to do it it's going to be the evidence of well (laughs) you can't deny it Death lost. Death has lost and Christ has won. And, uh, and so he's laying out here and saying, listen, what changes everything? What What alters this? Well, when this flesh that I suffer with and and, and and this life and the issues of this life that I deal with, the pains I feel, the, the fact that, that if the Lord doesn't come back and call me out of here while I'm living, I'm going to face death like anybody else. I could face it tonight. I could face it tomorrow. It could be 50 years from now. I would face it. I'd be pretty old. But I I could possibly face it at that time. I don't know when it's going to be. The Lord doesn't come back. But the guarantee is if he doesn't come back and call me out while I'm alive, I'm going to die. Why? I'm doomed to die. This flesh has to die. It's corruptible. It's not. This flesh is not eternal. God will have to robe and build and put me in a changed body how does he do it ain't got a clue that part's a mystery but i know this much the what the the new body will be incorruptible that that new body will be immortal And that new body will be one that God has made as a reflection of what has been done on the inside through salvation. The outside will then match it, glorified, holy, and perfect to be brought before the Lord. And there won't be a problem from there on out. And in that moment, death will have lost its final battle and all will be evident that only Christ has won. And, uh, And so... Um, he goes on in verse number 55, and if, if all that, talking about death is swallowed up in victory, if that wasn't enough, uh, he then just goes ahead and throws a few more blows at death and the grave. He said, Oh death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? You think you're so big and bad? You think you got it all in control? We all have to face death. We're all going to face uh, uh, the grave. And yet, where is your victory for the child of God? Where is your sting against the child of God? You have lost it. And when this body is changed as Christ, as God himself intends to change it, the proof will be in the pudding. And I'm the pudding, all right? So it goes on and said, the sting of death is sin done away with. And the strength of the sin is the law, no longer needed, all right? But thanks be to God, which giveth us, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So you look at what he points out there and the way he lays that out there and and you go back to, to Romans chapter eight and you see there in Romans chapter eight and verse number 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, this life, in all of its issues because of sin are not worthy to be compared with a glory which shall be revealed in us. When you understand a little bit of a picture of what that glory is like and what what it what it says the statement it makes you realize yep he's right. Everything I think that is so horrible, so awful, and oh my goodness, life is just so tough. It hurts, it's painful, it's this, it's that, it's not fair. All of that is not worthy to even be put on the same shelf as what God is gonna do in his people. Uh, that's one verse, we've got one verse, all right. Um, told you there's a lot of meat on this. Let me get just a little bit further. I, I gotta get at least... At least letter A done. <laughs> I got all the way through letter, letter E to go. Um, and so not only our sufferings can't compare to God's God's promise, but then the creature, you have the creature and the creator. Verse number 19 and 21, this can almost be confusing until you understand how to liken what he's saying. Um, the, the creature, when he talks about the creature, I want you to understand he's dealing with mankind, okay? The creation, the creature. We We are the creature, you know, we are the it, the thing, the, the stuff came out of the swamp. That's us, okay? So we, we are the creature, and when it mentions him who hath subjected, it's dealing with God, the creator, okay? So let me read verse 19 through 21 and uh, what it says here. It says, so dealing after what's going to be revealed in the sufferings of this life. So it says, for the earnest expectation of the creature, us, the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. I'm talking about the sons of God, little s's, not the capital son of God, but the sons of God. We have been made heirs. We have been made the ability to be the sons of God. And so therefore, we are God's children. That's what I was talking about. The manifestation, the Glorification, all that's gonna be taking place in the sons of God, the the children of God, dealing from verse number 18, it's dealing with that. Now we understand we are with earnest expectation. In other words, in anticipation that we can't hardly wait. Earnest expectation. Kind of like that kid, Christmas is tomorrow. Try to get him to go to sleep. I mean, I know what the world uses to get them to go to sleep and stuff, but we never, we never did all of that. We, we just, we, I knew exactly where it came from. I, I just wanted to know if my mom and dad got what I have been praying about. I was hoping God put on their heart to go get it, you know? And, uh, and I saw all those things, underneath, the, mm, shaking it, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and so, yeah, trying to go to sleep on Christmas Eve knowing that when we got up the next morning it wasn't present time first we sat after breakfast you get up have breakfast i mean the whole time you're like just hurry up mom and dad moving as slow as molasses on purpose do breakfast, we're not getting in a hurry, it's a special morning, it's not about all your presents, and like, that's what you think. <laughs> but uh, it's not about your presents, not about what you're gonna open, we're gonna do breakfast, and then it's like, in one year, I forgot, I don't know how in the world, I forgot, but one year, I forgot that my dad had a process, and we did, not, we did not skip the process. We had breakfast, and before we did anything that would be a focus on us, we had to go and read through, not the world's Christmas story. Uh, we had to go through and we had to read the actual account of the birth of our Savior. And if you know my dad, I'll put it this way if you know me, you know a little bit about my dad. Um, and my dad took it upon himself every single year to re preach to us after we read the story, all the in between details that we evidently forgot the year before. And, uh, and so he, he, he would bring an entire message. And my dad's more long-winded than I am. And, uh, and we, we would have this whole thing, and the whole time we're sitting there, oh, it's calling my name, I'm trying to listen, but I think that one's mine, okay? And, and what was that? Earnest expectation. We were overwhelmed with anticipation. Couldn't wait to get a hold of it, to see it, to finally experience the anticipation revealed. And that's what it's talking about. That earnest, by the way, if God's people are not that way about the return of Christ, there's something wrong with us. If we could care less, there's something wrong. And so we need to have that earnest expectation. But it's an earnest expectation of the creature that waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. What's going to happen within the children of God that have accepted Christ as their Savior? Verse number 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Now, uh, I'm going to read that last verse in a minute, but I want you to understand what this is talking about. The creature was made subject subject to vanity, Okay. Oh, um, let's go to Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity, saith the preacher. Um, The creature, man, is subject to vanity. We were made subject to vanity, not willingly. So you you almost look and say, well, hold on. So that means that God forced this vanity on it. No, 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 no. What it's saying is, man did not choose to have the penalty that sin brought. Man chose the action of disobedience, but man did not get the option to choose whether or not there was a consequence and penalty. Man chose to to rebel and disobey God's command, but... They were thrust into a life of vanity and the results of sin, not because they said, we want this, but because it was the judgment of God that must come due to the fact of their rebellion and the disobedience. So the creature, man, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but because of sin, we are now bound to a life That is wrapped up in vanity and vexation of spirit, as Solomon said. But it goes on, and and it says, um, "But by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope." Okay, so the who's what what subjected the same? In other words, him who had subjected the creature. The same. The one we're talking about. God made us subject to the penalty of our actions. Man was made subject to vanity by reason or by judgment of him who hath subjected the same mankind. But he did it in hope. He didn't do it In complete despair. Even though man was subjected. To a life cursed by sin. By the one who had no choice. But to do that which was right. Because of the disobedience. God had to punish. Because of sin. Man is cursed. Because of the judgment of God. For the punishment. Of sin, but God gave that judgment and gave that punishment in hope. He didn't do it separating man from hope, He did it with the intent of putting before man the hope of eternal life. Goes on to say, verse number 21, we're going to stop right here, I'm going to have to, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So even though man was condemned in this life to face the penalty of sin, not because they wanted the penalty, but because the judge of all the earth had no choice but to give the righteous, right, perfect penalty. There must be consequence. And man was given this life full of vanity and vexation and pain and woe and all the things that come with it, sorrow, but yet God didn't do it without placing within it hope. You're doomed in this life, but you have a chance to be forgiven, which can bring you into fellowship with me again for eternity. And so the creature has the chance to be bought back and to be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And a Pulpit commentary now I don't agree with everything in it but it says this and I, I, I like what it said I'm going to stop right here it says talking about was subjected seems to imply that the present vanity and bondage of corruption were not inherited, inherent in the original creation or of necessity to last forever. So watch. God created a perfect world that was tainted by sin. But it wasn't tainted to be tainted for all time, just for a period of time until God comes back And he corrects everything through judgment. But prior to that final judgment, when God destroys everything tainted by sin and rebuilds a new heaven, a new earth, before all of that, life is full of the opportunity to grab a hold of hope for eternal life. And so he's laying this anticipation of the promised glory that the cursed creature Given hope by the creator. Had no choice but to place the curse. But he had full power to put within it hope. It says this, thus the assertion of Genesis 1, 1 through 31, and especially verse number 31, stand unshaken. That in the beginning God created all things and that all at first was very good again, just once again affirming the account of creation as God made it and what sin did to God's original plan and yet what God gave as hope in the midst of a sin-cursed life. Serve a good God. I told you, that's number A. Uh, sorry, letter, letter A of number three, anticipation and we've got B, C, D and E still to do. I told you, there's a, there's a lot of meat on this bone and, um, I thought I'd get a little bit further than that, but um, that, that, that stuff's just too good to, to rush through, all right? And, but, uh, what's that? Uh, yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll, we'll bite all the meat off, and then we'll just gnaw on a bone for a little while. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm glad the Lord gave us, gave us his word that is not just shallow for shallow people. It, it, we, the more you dig in, the more beauty you see. It's like a rose. As it opens up, it's as beautiful as can be, Closed, but as soon as it starts opening up and the bigger that rose opens, the the more beautiful color comes out, the more specific parts the petals are, are, are visible, and it just becomes a beautiful flower. That's what the Bible does. The more you dig, the more it opens, the more beautiful it becomes, and the more, by the way, the more precious it becomes to the child of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for tonight. Thank you.